I can just go, but the economy, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> like, like really what else is, what else is necessary? <laughs> well, I mean, it hasn't been necessary to have anything other than, but the economy as a politician in Canada for as long as I've ever paid attention, you can, if you can draw out those couple of words, but the economy as a politician, you're in, you won. <laughs> Cheat to victory. But the economy, done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is the like the follow up question that we kind of jotted down is, which is such a huge, what is fair economic policy? Yikes. Yikes. Well, wait, though. But when we say what's fair and what's economic policy, let's just, I mean, let's talk about what the word economic means and what the word is means. No, but like, I think first you have to say, are we, are we all measuring the same thing? Like, so if we say that, again, you just pull like a, okay, we say GDP is the thing that we're going to call the economy. And if it's, if, if we, if we say that up is good and down is bad, then up like a high GDP is a good economy and therefore anything that creates a high GDP is good. Um, so I don't, th- so I think people could be talking about the economy. Yeah. Finger quotes and be talking about entirely different things. Well, I think that people are, it's, it's that idea. And I think that uh, actually the first time I was on this show, Kyle talked about it this way. And I, I think about this a lot because I think, it, and I don't think it's unique, but I think it's very true. This idea that for most people, the economy is, do they have a job? Do their friends have a job? Does their family have a job? Like, I think people generally relate themselves not to the GDP unless it affirms the fact that that is true for them. Oh no, we're all doing pretty well and the GDP is doing well and everybody says the economy is good versus the other side, which is like, oh no, we're struggling. So that's a lie. That's, that's, not, that's not the truth. Like, but I think that, that what else can we do? Most of us can't <laughs> like stretch out. Like that's a lot to take in. Like, you know, in, in, uh, just in the last month, you had the chance to kind of like pop in across Canada over like a period of a week and a half and pop in like to six cities. And just to remember one super cliche, Canada's really big. Um, and also it's really different. It's really different immediately without trying at all, like just noticing people, different people that come to a workshop, even when it's like specifically part targeted for creative people, you're like, oh, the same types of people that show up. No, um, really different types of people, really different places, really different, like uh, immediately you can start seeing like how different people talk about their economy you know, Mm. Uh, and how different, like the different little pieces of information that they've internalized, you know, like it's, it's in Halifax, it's all about the, the film tax credit for like lots of the creative community and everything hinges around that that was canceled for a while and that was brought back in and how it all trickles down throughout their economy. They're measuring it by like this one metric of, of like economic policy that they've kind of hinged everything on. But I think that lots of people do that. When I go back to home to Manitoba, you know, the farmers are gonna talk about the carbon tax. That's their one thing that right now, they're hinging their like, like economic policy has hit them in this specific way. And they're kind of like 
framing their narrative through that. And it's not like, this is, there's a lot of real truth in these things. Both of those examples have hit people in extremely real ways, but do people, do my, does my dad, the farmer care about the film tax credit in Halifax? No. Should he? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't have a sense of how these things interconnect. Um, I hope somebody does. But th- this is one of the challenges immediately when you're like, no, we're not measuring it by the same stick. No, we're not measuring it according to some broad economic definition stick. I don't think most people care about the GDP unless it rubber stamps what they think already. Um, I don't know. Is that true? Is that, does that seem... Or do people care and I just don't? Um, I mean, I'm not sure most people know how to interpret it, except that when their own personal economy is doing well or poor, then when they see the overall GDP type numbers, then that gives them hope or despair, right? Like, it's like, I'm out of a job, but the economy is doing really well, so I hope I'll get a new one really soon. Then That's true. And they're like, oh, I'm out of a job and the economy sucks. Oh, this is going to be a long slog. And, I, I, I think everything that you just said, and Chris, you said as well about the economy, you could put that on almost, like, for example, you could put it on investing. So we've talked about this before. I don't know if we've done it on the show, where my interpretation of what's happening in the markets is not just a product of me having read or researched or followed. It's also the window through which I experienced investing for the first time or experienced investing at a time where investing was really, really important to me, Uh, whatever. Um, And so even though we think we're all coming to this with an understanding or at least a partial understanding of the performance of a thing that we're measuring and its potential effect on us, very rarely are we saying, you know, I live in Muskoka and we had two, we had a really booming like auto parts sector here, just bananas to think about, but we did. Both of those plants closed in quite rapid succession. And now when we think of the economy, we only think about X, Y, Z before yeah. we think like that's the window through which we're looking at the tariffs or the <laughs> whatever, whatever next free trade agreement is. And a dairy farmer is going to look at it you know, through the window of all the things that they've been through and without necessarily pinning it back to, oh, this is the window I'm looking at it through. Yeah. We'll think that that the window is in fact the thing. Yeah. Or I shouldn't say they, I should say we, because I am of course guilty. And that's a, it's a big fat we. I don't know if it's possible. Maybe it, it just takes a very unique mind to kind of like stretch out past that a little bit, like to, to really start seeing multiple windows. And, and I guess the hope of, the hope is always that somebody at that table is, has that um, and that the people trying to make some of these decisions have that. But I think probably closer to the truth is that you're hoping that you have a table that has a whole bunch of people with different biases <laughs> that can talk to each other. Because <laughs> cause that's, the, that's the thing that you just hope your voice is represented at the table um, and, and is heard because it, it is tough. You know, it's tough when you're in a, when you feel like you're in a sector that, that is kind of getting, that, that is a punching bag or people, maybe it's, this is, you know, the emotional way to look at things, but like, it is that sense of like, are we being heard? You hear that in Canadian politics a lot right now is this sense of like, you know, the West versus the East and this fact that like there are certain sectors in Canada do not, do not rightly or not, they don't feel heard. They feel like, 
you know, there's something that's just being written off and, and, and not kind of being a part of the conversation in a way that they feel, or that it's just shifting that before it used to be very like, of course, we're going to do everything that's best for the oil sector, for example. And now it's trying to kind of look at a wider conversation and people are like, well, that's, that's not how we see it. And, and that's hard. It just, it just is. Um, But I think also it's not just hard to feel as though you're not being heard. It's also hard to even know who is doing the hearing and who is doing um, the deciding. Yeah. Right. And I think that goes back to who is it that's saying, but the economy, they don't actually, the purpose is, is really just to play on that set of fears of not being heard, of having a particular experience with your particular personal economy. It just, it just preys on those fears and misgivings and all that stuff and, and, and does a really good job of obscuring what room of people. And I don't mean like, Oh, it's the Illuminati or whatever, but like there are people who are clearly weighing in the balance oil production or, and I'm not, not, I don't just mean like from a climate perspective, but like we have set a measure for, of success for ourselves. And maybe the measure of success is just that we remain in power but we've set this bar for success and we are weighing you person who has this, you know, what feels like an unjust experience in the dairy market trade or whatever. We're weighing that against this other thing. And all of it is on the scales of our definition of success. And we have not shared that with you in a way that can make any meaningful sense to the people who don't feel hurt. So yeah. How could they? And I think, I think you're right. What you were saying before is that sometimes there's assumption that we're all dealing with the same metrics. And that's, that's where some of the dissonance comes in is this fact where it's just like, there, there are people that are, have a heavy hand in decision-making capabilities that are judging by a certain amount of certain metrics. And you just kind of assume, Oh, we're all judging by the same, but that's not true. That's not true. And it will never be true. (laughs) We will not, we do not have the same metrics for judging what economic success, what life success is like. That's just not, I don't think that's 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 not a a realistic endpoint for any of this discussion. But um, there does it would be helpful to have more clarity around yeah how these decisions what is the metric of success you know, even something like consistently rising GDP creates a certain chain reaction of decisions you need to make that make other decisions really hard. You talk about something like climate change, making these kind of shifts. It's hard when you keep on filtering it through a lens of, but the GDP needs to keep rising, right? Like we can all agree that the GDP and the stock market needs to keep gaining in value, but also, yeah, let's for sure transition into other things. You're like, well, that's hard. Yes, but so (laughs) when you say that, the, the first thing I think of is of course, the other thing that people say, but the economy is, but the national debt. And so tax policy is all filtered through, does it make that number bigger or smaller? Mm-hmm. Not what does that number indicate and what other, mm-hmm. like, what is it in relation to and what does it mean? So yeah. but tax policy that's, you know, good for the middle class, quote unquote, is only good if it also means that we're going to have a completely balanced budget two years from now. Like, I, Yeah. yeah tax policy. John, flat tax, tell us all about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of, but the economy, I mean, another example that we talked about a bit with Tim Good was the, um, the cod fishery. 
um, back in the day. And, and there were lots of warning signs that we needed to cut back on cod fishing and start to like quota or whatever. Um, and yet the last cod fishing year before the stocks really collapsed was the biggest one. Like there was just, it was so hard to push through any kind of conservation effort when it was much easier to do so because there were all the concerns about but, but the economy. Like, what will we do if, we, if we're not harvesting hundreds of thousands of or millions of tons of cod out of the ocean every year? Um, and, and it's really hard to balance sometimes any other factor against but the economy. Um, it, do you think it kind of relates to this idea to, I don't know, when you said that, it related to the thing that so many of us say all the time is that like, I'm just trying to pay my bills. Yeah. I'm just, yes. I'm just trying to pay my bills. Like, look, we're just a whole bunch of people that are just trying to get through the month, you know? And, and like, this is another dangerous thing. This is another hard thing because that's true. <laughs> people are just trying to pay their bills. They've got kids and they've got families and they've got people to care for. And they've got immediate things that are necessary. But I don't know how to balance those two things because they're right. But the economy, there's these, there are these communities. And, and yet again, I don't know the fishing community super well, but one can imagine this like, yeah, all of a sudden cutting back production on all these things, it's going to affect real people and their ability to pay your bills. Like, how do you balance those two things? And I, I don't know, something, do you feel like those two things are, are linked? This idea of but the economy and then that, that kind of like, personal side which is that you know i'm just trying to get through the day yeah and i mean we've seen that in other sorts of long-term versus short-term decisions too like i mean i i live in toronto chris sometimes lives in toronto <laughs> and our transit experience is horrific it's yeah. really bad and that's because in you know when I was in high school, we decided to cancel a bunch of transit projects that were in the works. We had a great big transit plan for like the city is growing and here's what we're going to need to build to keep up with the growth of the city. You know, nice big line across Shepherd, provide some redundancy, go all the way over to Downsview. You know, a nice relief line that then is going to take the pressure off line one and then another line across Queen or whatever. Like there were all these plans to keep building up the transit network to keep pace and to you know, even maybe get ahead. I don't think that transit plan actually was going to ever get ahead of Toronto's growth, but to like at least somewhat keep pace. And then we put it off for like 25 years. And now we're starting to, you know, do the environmental studies and we're so far behind the ball now. But hey, for those 20 years, like I guess Toronto's economy got that much better because we weren't spending a couple billion on transit. Like a lot of cranes in the air. A lot of cranes in the air. I really do think that those two concepts are linked. The buy the economy, but I'm just trying to get ahead. But they're linked in a really insidious way, which Sandy always thinks everything is insidious. But like, if somebody says, I am suffering. Hey, my local MPP, I'm suffering. It's hard to get around here. I can't get to work on time because this, 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 it's not a, obviously an MPP question, but whatever. Like if you are speaking to your representative, and you are telling them, I can't get ahead in this. What is happening that you need to exercise some control over some of the things that are impacting my life. And often the thing that is responded to them is, well, but the economy, if we increase the economy, if we, if we make the economy better, automatically your life is going to be better. And so again, it goes back to like, who's the client? <laughs> 
wait a minute. Is the client, is the person that you are representing the person, the people in your community, in your district, in your, or is the, the person that you are, or the entity that you are serving, the entity that has to get better, the people are just the, the things, but it's this idea of the national economy or the whatever it is, the provincial economy. And if that's better, well then ipso facto, all the people will be better. I guess because they'll walk around going, ooh, uh, my life is still miserable, but at least the economy's great. Like, to me, that's how they're linked. It's that it's this, placebo is not the right word, but like just this like, well, I'll just throw out good like economic indicators as the promise instead of you person will have expanded transit. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting because I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to want to make parallels that always drive me crazy. One of the things that drives me the craziest in kind of like an economic government discussion is when people start saying, well, he can't even budget a household budget. So how can you budget? And, and we're like, all this debt, would you do this in your house? And you're like, it's not the same. It's not the same. It just, it can't be the same. So we, we can't make these parallels. But at the same time, um, as you're talking about this, there's a couple of things that I, I think that I recognize it in terms of just the planning that you do with individuals that, that is, that feels really relevant and feel free to push back on it if it doesn't at all. But one, the idea of it's one of the hardest things is balancing, you know, future sustainability with current um, stability. Like how does that like balancing now in the future is, is the biggest, is just one of the hardest thing to do, whether you're doing it at an individual level or, um, or at a future level. And, and also the thing, that when you were talking, Sandy, that I thought of is just this idea of the, the belief that so many of us have that more, um, more will solve the problem. So when I make more money, then I will save. And the fallacy there is that in generally with, with the people that I've talked to and worked with is that it's not true. Generally more amplifies what you're doing right now. Um, oh, with more growth, then this thing will come, then we'll finally have the money to do this thing. But if it's not, a priority if it's not somehow being fed now even if in a small way it's not going to be fed with more you know if if the priority is not taking care of a certain part of society if the priority is not emphasizing public transit in a city um if the priority is not looking at that then um it's not going to start being becoming a priority like setting priorities is something that is that is independent of resources to a point like obviously they're one informs the other but they're not the same thing and so it just makes me think that it it's a lovely excuse to not do anything it's always a lovely excuse to not do anything even at a personal level when you say i can't do this because i don't have enough um or uh i will do that when i get more that's a better way to phrase it because sometimes the truth is you can't do a lot of it now but there's often more that you can do now as far as building an infrastructure a technique a system to kind of say when more comes in how are we going to feed that and and so i don't know it, it maybe those are false parallels but they're definitely things that i thought of I, it's hard when whenever the conversation gets really big you so I so easily get to the point where it's like, ah, what can I, <laughs> I like just, it gets big enough to, for me to want to like, be like, and I'm out, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. Or like, what can I possibly do? And all those things. So it, it helps to kind of just at least connect to a more relatable level and kind of on a, on a personal level when you can, 
if it's not a false friend. <laughs> right, but part of revolution is having the imagination, even if part of just having that imagination is just talking about what could be different. Part of revolution is actually imagining what that needs to look like and not just, well, if I can't make it happen, then it's not really meaningful. Did I say revolution? Oh, no, it's okay. It was bound to come out eventually. Like, <laughs> I don't think anybody who's listening, Seth, <clears throat> will be surprised by your want to, to form a revolution. Um, just foment, really, not even form. Just foment. <laughs> Agitator. Agitator. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things that's really hard. Not that actionables are the be all and end all, but it's it is hard to know kind of where to start. It's hard to it's it's an area even more in personal finance. At least you can say, okay, how do we block out the noise and focus on what you are trying to do? Like, how can we make this as small as possible? But actually, in this conversation, this idea of what is good policy and how do we wrap our minds around what is good policy as a country, as a province, as a city? The goal is actually like if we're listening to this, how do we decide who are we going to vote for in the next election? Like, who has good policy? And sometimes the answer is nobody. But (laughs) well, it's sometimes often. But like, it's it's (laughs) that idea. How do you broaden out the scope? Like, it's actually like how do you get past your personal scope and include uh, a more diversified scope? I don't know what is it. Is it our responsibility to advocate for the personal policy that affects? or the, the economic policy that affects our own personal ecosystem and hope that other people do the same? Or um, is it to try and understand a broader picture? Uh, well, probably depends who you are. There's probably not one actionable, is there? Come on, guys, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Have we ever come out of an episode with like an actionable thing? <laughs> I don't know, that's <laughs> yeah, and I mean, all this goes back to, you know, but the economy and also, but taxes, right? So it's like, well, we should have been increasing transit. And some people are like, well, I don't care about transit because either I don't yeah. live in yeah. Toronto or I don't um, commute. And even though um, it would be wonderful if we could all just walk to work, not everybody has that option. And even if you're a person who drives and doesn't use the TTC, um, building the transit helps relieve congestion on the roads for you. So it's all benefits you in some way. Uh, but some people are just like, I just don't want my tax dollars spent on that. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And they're very concerned about their tax dollars, um, which also sort of slides into another topic that we wanted to talk about when we talk about like, but the economy and economic policy and politics, which is you know, our hot button episode, um, which is what I call the flat tax policy. So every now and then this idea gets floated by um, politicians that we should fundamentally change the way that we do taxes. So there's always ideas about tweaking like a marginal tax rate here or there. So instead of being 15%, it'll be 15.5% on this bracket, or instead of 50%, we'll make it 50.2% on this tax bracket, or what have you. And some people say every now and then that we shouldn't have these tax brackets at all, that we should just have a flat tax. We'll charge everybody, and they pull some number out of nowhere 20%. And then if we charge everybody 20%, then it's going to be a more fair tax system, which gets really into the idea of like, what do you consider fair when we tax people? Um, And so the first big problem with the flat tax fallacy or the flat tax idea, um, which is why I call it the flat tax policy, (laughs) fallacy, uh, is that you are going to shift a lot of the tax burden onto people with less money and with less means. 
Um, and some people say like, well, that's totally fair. Uh, because if you're paying 20% or whatever percentage you pick uh, for everybody, it means that anybody who's currently paying more than that percent, which is the wealthy right now, they'll be paying less. But to still make up all that tax revenue, it has to go to other people. And the big part where this becomes a fallacy is that people say, well, there'll be so much savings from the simplification of the tax system. And this does not simplify the tax system at all. So there is, if you look at your tax return, let's say you have a 21 page tax return like I had last year, 21 pages, and you flip through it, there is one page with like one little table that could be a single line, but really is like a little table about this marginal tax rate business. Totally. And everything else that makes taxes complicated is deciding what is income. Like, do you want to just start charging everyone sales tax, which is another way to go, but then you want to charge everyone on revenue instead of on income. And then you don't have to report what your expenses are or anything. It's just however much money comes in the door. And then that's really unfair to some businesses with high profit margins versus some with low profit margins, but yeah. you know, whatever it works out to, um, it works out to. So um, that's the one issue is that it doesn't really solve any kind of complexity that you think it might solve because it's only solving a teeny tiny bit of complexity in the marginal tax rate, which is where, in you know my opinion, some of the fairness comes in. Um, and then you still have all the complexity of, well, what's actually income? What's your cost basis for different things? What's your expenses? What's a deduction? You know, What tax credits are you going to have? And they'll say, oh, we'll also blow away all that. And I'm like, are you really? Like, you're not going to have a children's tax credit or a you know farm income tax credit you know various targeted programs that have accumulated over the years in the tax code like you're always going to have some other way to incentivize whatever behavior you want you're not going to leverage the tax code to do that uh, and even then determining what is and is not income is still going to be complicated. There's still yeah. going to be depreciation schedules. You still have this whole accounting mess for anyone that doesn't have very basic um, employment income. Yeah, and a whole reasonable soup as well yeah. of what is a deduction, what is not. This is not defined really clearly. Like, you know, you're not going to take away business deductions. I assume that people will be fairly angry about that. Yeah. I, I do think that this, again, speaks to the grand conspiracy that you can see in the manipulation of political messages because people, so how do you come up with a tax code or improvements or changes to the tax system? You do it with a deep understanding of the tax system mm. and the people who pay taxes. You don't do it by saying, well, let's get rid of it all. I mean, sorry, I'm proceeding along two different argumentative paths, but so the people, but the, so me, taxpayer, who wants to pay less tax, who immediately wants to feel where the rubber meets the road, that I am better off because of taxes than I was before. So you, you promise, I'm going to make a change to the taxes. I'm cutting taxes for the middle income or whatever it is that you say that you're promising in order to get the vote of that person who just wants to be, be just wants to be better off. The people that they do not trust, the people that me, taxpayer, does not trust, are the academics who know the tax code. So the people who, so in science, the people who, <laughs> the science of the tax code, those people who can explain, this is the difference between tax policy A and tax policy B, because I've looked through all the different programs that have accumulated over the years. I know the difference between deductions and I know the difference between refundable and non-refundable tax credits. You human person will be better off, even though it doesn't feel like it, because of all these reasons. That voice is rarely listened to or amplified or queried 
or anything in any kind of discussion about will the will regular taxpayer person be better off because we live in a, in a society that is like 30 second clips and blurbs and news headlines and because that's not nuanced reporting of what a real meaningful change to anything um, is going to include is it happens but it's not widely circulated <laughs> like, you know <laughs> you're right and, and at the same time it's it like I, you're right like the, the the there should be a higher burden of communication on on um communicating these things but i i do want to just flag the fact that like there's a there's a high level of difficulty there because it is dense mm. you know it this is i think that across politics you have the problem of just like explaining the wonk point of view is really hard i just want to say wonk um, <laughs> i did i did that was not necessary but but i i got a i, I got a real thrill out of it um it's hard. It's really hard. And it's hard. And it, 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 it relates to what you were saying before, Sandy. It's like, what metric are we tracking? So a lot of people are saying, what, what do I get back at the end of my tax return? Like, do I get a refund? Does the amount that I pay go down? Like, that's the metric that they're looking at. And the, the work here is, is deep work. Changing the metric that people look at, like, you're, you're getting closer to changing what people believe about what is you know you're getting closer to beliefs than knowledge and when you're shifting beliefs that's really hard and so like yes it you're still completely right like the burden of communication needs to go on these people the problem is too is that many of these people are not natural communicators right um and that's not to speak poorly of of scientists tax scientists i like this i like this moniker um of tax scientists but you know, it's just, it's true in, in lots of fields. It's the people that are really good at it aren't necessarily great at communicating it to everybody. And they shouldn't be. That is not the burden that we should put on them. That That is not their fault. It is just like, this is, I'm, I'm identifying a gap in this because this is the gap that I'm the most passionate about in financial planning is the communication gap. And the fact that it's not, you can't just put one person in there either. We're communicating as we've already talked to, to a whole field of people with different perspectives. And so I think the framing of this problem is really important. So first framing the idea that yes, we have a communication problem and we're not sourcing it from the right place. So we're communicating the things that are going to play well to the end user rather than rooting it in the science that can really say, this is what we know. This is what we know. How do we connect this to you? And then trying to say, how can we pour more attention on how do we connect that to people? How do we make that play? And, and that happens at every level. And you're completely right about 30 second clips. And it's just not like, this is not what people want to do. Um, but it, it, I don't know. It, maybe that's a, a whole. Well, but it's also the cynical too. use of, of um, reaching for power too, right? It's, that's, course, why, that's why somebody who's a populist can very easily say, oh, that's just, oh, that's all ridiculous. Those are just people who are. I'm just free. I'm for you by sweeping away regulation and sweeping away, you know, a detailed income tax returns and whatever. It's be, it's because that's the way to get in a world where people are already feeling stretched and already feeling that they don't have enough seats on transit or whatever it is. Their life is full of stress, and yeah. it's really easy for somebody who is completely stressed out to say, "Ugh, this just feels like a lot of extra stress." Before I get to less stress. Yeah. And so then it's really easy for somebody who just wants power to promise anything. And it's very, like, well, very easy to say bullshit that yeah. is 
a soundbite long, a couple of words, uh, yeah. you know, meme image or like a 30 second radio spot. And that bullshit might take 10 minutes of discussion to refute properly. Yeah. And so the bullshit spreads while the, you know, refutation doesn't. So like with the flat tax thing, it sounds fair. Like, oh yeah, sure, flat. Yeah, that, that's totally more fair than whatever system we have now. Until so you like think about it like, okay, well, what does make a fair tax system? There's lots of ways that we can do taxes. Uh, we've sort of settled on the one we have now sort of incrementally. In my opinion, it's probably, you know, not necessarily completely optimal, but probably the most fair that we could have sort of settled on because we sort of iterated our way there through lots of different kinds of governments, lots of different political parties and um, lots of different economic conditions. And we still sort of settled on this and lots of other countries have too, because there's some underlying merit to it, but it takes time to explain, to be like, well, you know, one way we could do it is just with like sales taxes on everything. And then, but then you really want to tax revenue and drives the economy underground and all these other issues. And then we could tax, income in a flat way but then you're like but then people who don't have very much money have to spend the same portion of their income on taxes as people who have lots of money and then you know people with lots of money are spending like on discretionary things so should we tax discretionary things more than essentials well then we're back to should we do sales taxes and it's like well you have a flat tax is fair isn't it even more fair to do a head tax and then you just charge everyone like everyone just pays twenty five thousand dollars a year in taxes and if you don't make $25,000 a year, well, you go into government indentured servitude. And like, no, that's not very fair. Wait like, a minute. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> it's a 30-second soundbite, but I don't feel better. Yeah. Yeah, so then it's like, what's even more fair than a flat tax? A head tax. And then you're like, but no, wait, hang on. That's not a great idea because it has all these other problems. And then, and then um, people start to have to listen to this like idea that oh yeah that that does have some issues and that's why we don't have head taxes um anymore and right. <laughs> historically accurate <laughs> yeah it's funny because uh, what you said about like i don't want my tax dollars to go to that often means i don't trust the people who are mm. dispersing my tax dollars yeah. to do it in a way that is Fair. And I don't mean, like, I don't mean somebody that says, I don't want my tax dollars to go to that is somebody who's fundamentally unjust or fundamentally un, no. you know, generous or any of those things. In some ways, it's, I look at the incremental system that we have that seems to be labyrinthine. It seems to need, you know, some guide to it. I don't really get it. And also there are examples of government waste and just ridiculousness. So those people whether they are, and, and often then it becomes attached to like party politics, but like those people in my mind have examples of waste. I still want to help the same people that everybody else wants to help, but not when they do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can see, I mean, I can see that. I think it's really normal and natural to really distrust the people who hold the power in the purse strings. But well, sometimes I think it means that we then distrust the system that could like, so again, I'm not defending the people who are in power, but defending a marginal tax rate system, you know, as like, yeah, it's full of holes, but so is everything else. And this is kind of the least full of holes. I can see that, but I can see the disconnect when people don't trust the people and therefore don't trust the system. Yeah. And it, I'm very of two minds of that, like, should we trust the system? Because on the one hand, 
you know, that's just the way it is. It's sort of the best we've got. There's going to be some government waste. You're never going to get away from that. It, like the form of the government waste might change over time from like, you know, just wasteful programs and, and wasteful spending to like crony capitalism and like the money being funneled off to like insiders or whatever. And, and ideally you don't want either, but there sort of seems to always be some element of one or the other <laughs> all the time. And it's just like, okay, there'll, there'll be some government waste. I'm just used to that idea. It would be wonderful if there wasn't, but there, like, we shouldn't trust people in government too, too much because there will be that temptation to have some waste and whatnot. And you know, that old adage about changing governments and diapers for the same reason <laughs> periodically um, sort of does come into play there. Uh, but yeah, like we, we do have to just sort of accept, and not get super outraged every time there's a little bit of government waste because I mean it's hard to run a government perfectly efficiently like it you know go ahead and try it <laughs> but I I do think that it's worth I don't know I, I think yet again when you reframe so I think it makes sense what you were saying Sandy and I think it's a really good thing to identify that it's the this kind of resistance against paying into some of these programs isn't about i want to live on an island alone and i don't want to help anybody or or i think these programs are i remember hearing a, a this american life episode way back when about american politics before they got as polarized as they were now we're talking about polarized kind of discussions and family members in the I, I don't remember which state, it doesn't really matter. But this idea that two sisters didn't talk to each other, but their argument was the same. This idea, like, I can't believe that she's a Democrat. Um, how can she be so selfish to not want to help the people in our community with her money and want the government to do it? And the Democrats saying, how can the Republican be so selfish that they don't want to take care of the poor and the people in our community by supporting these programs? And you're just like, interesting. Um, tragic that this family is no longer talking but also just this fact that you're right like often it's it's sometimes it's different ideas about how to do things sometimes it's the same same want but different applications um and and it is a hard balance to say this is the system we have we have to work within it um just just deal with it and um it's not good enough it's not good enough it's it's not it's it it's not good enough yet it's not good enough and maybe Maybe it never will be good enough. But the thing is, is that if you just disconnect completely, and I think it is worth mentioning that the disconnection and, and taking back is generally a source of privilege, is generally a privileged stand to be able to take to, I'm not listening to the news because it stresses me out. Um, I'm not, I don't want to pay this tax. I can hire, some, uh, I can figure out ways to pay less tax because I don't support these programs. I can do all these kind of things. The people that, there's people that can't, and so the thing that I remind myself to do and try, I'm trying to think it, when I kind of come up against these things, because I do in my own life com completely, there's areas that I so want to disconnect and specifically within government policy and taxes and kind of engagement is that um, it, it has to be about if I, you don't like the people that are doing the things, like how can I make, that's, that's the thing that I need to try to be involved in changing. It's not about like, okay, my tax dollars are going to go to someone. How can I make them more accountable for the change that I want to kind of bring in? How can I become more part of the process? Um, I don't know. That seems like the right thing for right now. Um, I don't, hopefully people that are smarter and more driven than me can help change the system and, and continue to shift and imagine new possibilities so that we can make it better. But I think the disengagement just doesn't seem like, 
like that's the answer. Um, I don't know. What do you, I guess what I'm curious about from you guys is like, what do you, what do you guys do in your own lives? Kind of thinking about some of this kind of bigger stuff is the, but the economy issues and, and dealing with kind of like injustice and in tax code or um, frustration with reflection in your own personal economy versus the bigger scale. Like what are, what are some of the things that you think about or kind of some of the ways that you hope to, um, shift things forward or or keep things the same or or however so sometimes i do actually try to get things done i write letters to my mps and mpps you i sometimes too. post those letters onto my website well, so that other no. people will will uh, take them up and, and try to change those ideas every now and then i try to get people that I know to run for their local governments and, and it never works out. Um, never had actually done it myself to try to try to run. Um, but also I have a certain sense of you can't fight the machine. Like as much as I would love to do just like reform some things and just accept others. I just try to accept everything and be like, yeah, I don't like the current provincial government here in Ontario. There's nothing I can do about it. I can write my MPP all I want about certain issues. I don't think they're going to help get anything done because it's being driven from the top and I just have to wait for the next election cycle. And then just sort of like, I am a leaf on the wind and the wind's carrying me this way. And oh, well, I guess that's where we're going for a while. I mean, if there is... So we, Seth and I talk about this a lot, this sense of like feeling powerless in big ways, but really powerful in small ways, even if the small way is being grit in the machine. So you can, you, two things, we have said, let it be known. Two things can be true at the same time. Yeah. So we can, I mean, most of the time, I think my first response to, in my mind was like, well, I'm angry all the time. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm just angry. Um, but while we may not feel as though, and I don't know that direct political action is the only way to create change, right? No. Like there are people whose job it is to just hold out the reality that worse is not inevitable. Better is possible. But we can also, if we want to see change, okay, so I'm listening to the Finding Fred podcast right now and weeping every single time. And the last episode that I listened to was the one where they were talking about, it's called, it's the superhero episode if you want to listen to it, but it's the one they were talking about when Mr. Rogers was retired and September 11th happened. He retired, like the show ended like just a couple of weeks before that. So September 11th, 2001, he records a PSA and the story that he told is one that we've all heard in memes, like look for the helpers. Right. So if you're really worried if something bad is happening, my mother always told me to look for the helpers. But then the narrator of the podcast was saying, you know, that's not the whole story. Let's listen to what he actually said. And what he actually said was he said that to the kids. The kids are to look to the helpers. The adults are to be the helpers. And so our job, if we see something horrible, like, oh, this tax policy is Byzantine. The people that have almost no income, they are the most vulnerable, have to expend the most effort to get any dollar out of it and have a marginal real tax rate of like 70% because of clawbacks. So yes, that's wrong. And yes, I'm going to talk about it. And if some, if some politician campaigns on making that different, yes, but also hmm. I can be one of the helpers and I can help people navigate that labyrinth and tell them whatever they need to know, even though 
teaching somebody the rules of working within a system that I think is fundamentally unjust is very weird. <laughs> yeah. Here's the rules for something that's awful. Like, let's all play this board game. It's really crappy. Here's the rules. <laughs> Instead of like burning the board game and creating a new one. And spoiler alert, everybody loses except for that guy. And he that's already knows economy. he won. He already won. But we have to play anyways. <laughs> So that's what I think of when I think of, I just would, this all seems really hard and I'm really angry all the time. That's where I kind of, sometimes I just stay angry and then like curl up in a ball somewhere and read stories about other worlds, but be the helper. Be the helper. Yeah. Mr. Rogers, making me weep while I walk the dog. Yeah, that also somewhat reminds me of another letter that we sent a long time ago, which is that the letters don't always have to go to the politicians, because sometimes it's not the politicians that are doing some of the implementation issues that you have. Like, the politicians might decide how much money comes from the tax pool to fund a certain program, but then if the program is still being run in a really Byzantine way, you can contact the people that actually run it so like at one mm. point we'd contacted the cra just because their website was really confusing and it wasn't wasn't that the tax policy was wrong it was just that the way they were describing it was really hard for an individual to go and be like this does this apply to me and and we wrote them a letter and said hey this is confusing in this way could you change it they actually changed it i don't know if it was in response to that letter or if it was actually like just a coincidence but they never responded to the letter to say like, thank you, we've changed it. So who knows, but. The CRA doesn't respond to letters. <laughs> they just only accept them. That's right, they demand no a response. Other... <laughs> they demand responses. <laughs> Apparently that also works with suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, there's lots of other ways that we can yeah. try to bring about change that way. No, I think that's a good reminder. A good reminder on every level just to, I, yeah, I love thinking about being a helper and 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 just I'm always comforted weirdly about the 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 idea that two things can be true at the same time. You know, a system can be um, broken and it can be still what we have, and you can still want something to be better and say that this is how it is right now. That I think that there's something fundamentally true that resonates. Whatever kind of situation you're looking at in your life, it's just like, look, this is how things are right now. This is kind of where I want things to be when I have, you know, and do whatever you can to kind of push that forward. But when you can, with the resources that you can, even yeah, right. if it's nothing right now, even if it's nothing for a while, but, you know, um, yeah, and looking to the helpers and looking for opportunities to be a helper, especially for those of us that um, have some facility, that have gained some facility, have gained some knowledge. And, and, and I, would, I would just add to that, I think the helpers, it's important to note that it's not about, teaching is not about telling somebody why they're wrong. Teaching is not about imparting purely technical knowledge. I think that one part of that um, has to be this idea and kind of to bring us around to kind of what we were talking about at the beginning is just this idea that you don't understand somebody else's frame of reference and frame of success and frame of how they enter into this conversation. You don't know. You don't, it's probably not the same as yours. And even though it's really natural for most of us, to, for me to enter in and assume that it's the same as mine. If it's the same minus, plus or minus a few degrees. And sometimes it's so different that it's just like, that's a huge thing. So like helping doesn't mean I'm going to teach you to be like me. 
Helping doesn't mean I'm going to teach you how to do the things that, that have brought me success. Helping has to mean, okay, what are you trying to do? And how can I help you find success in this system right now? How can I help you find a tool in the system that might help and work? And if it doesn't exist, that's the thing that you've learned and can potentially advocate for, whether it's at a kind of really grassroots level or, or at a higher level. Um, I think that has to be a big part of this thought for those of us that have the capacity uh, mentally, emotionally, financially, uh, knowledge base to be, um, to be helpers in this financial sphere. To, to remember that that doesn't mean that we don't have a lot to learn um, specifically from the people that, that, have, that have sought help, which is in itself um, an act of courage and, and an act of trust. Um, and it's a responsibility. So it's, it's something that I continually remind myself and, and was again, kind of like on this trip across Canada, just reminded how little I know about so many people and about how many, how many frames of reference. You're just like, wow, <laughs> I would have, I'd have no idea, you know, how to, I bet you that there's all these tools that I've never Googled. I've never even looked in that corner of the tax code, but I bet you there are things for you. Um, and it's, it's exciting, but it's, 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 uh, it's so much to learn. I like that. You are speaking the truth. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm John Robertson. I'm the author of The Value of Simple and also the creator of the Practical Index Investing for Canadians course. So if you want to learn how to become a do-it-yourself investor, that's the sort of thing I help with. I'm Chris Enns. I'm a advice-only financial planner at ragstoreasonable.com. If you like pictures about money and metaphors that sometimes apply to finances and sometimes are just way out, you can check out my stuff at www.ragstoreasonable.com. And I'm Sandy Martin. I'm an advice-only financial planner at springplans.ca. And I tend to work with older single ladies and people who are retiring. That's really, that's really my thing. And you can find me on Twitter a lot.